0: welcome to the lavender menace podcast this is sunny uh, they she pronouns betrayer of friends trust and (laughs) a generally evil person with a capricorn moon so
1: this is true hi my name is renaissance i also use they she pronouns and i am someone who tries to set boundaries yet is somehow continually unsuccessful in maintaining
0: them so, I'm a cancer. I'm a leech. I'm, I'm like the mom that like never leaves you alone. That's me. And that's oh, yes. why you should never have children. Yeah, you're right. Because I would be like looking through their phones being like, mm, you shouldn't date that guy. Like <laughs> you, would,
1: you would have like your kids would have zero sense of privacy or they wouldn't even know what a boundary is because you would just you would not even let that be a thought that creeps into their mind. <laughs>
0: yeah I'm yeah this is this is true mm-hmm. um anyway okay so so I see but I also think my inability to respect boundaries is also why I am obsessed with Taylor Swift because I don't care about <laughs> what she has to say about us not not speculating about her personal life I will speculate about her personal life I don't give a fuck mom I will be doing like it's it's having issues with authority while also being the person who like abuses any position of authority and, be- and abuses but boundaries any are color.
1: not authority boundaries are just how someone saying how they would like to be treated
0: yeah it's yeah Though no, it's that my disrespect for that like how how I like love to like yell at my teacher well hmm, I don't know have I grown out of that no
1: no wh- <laughs> why is that no, you have not. Why? Why are you hesitating on that? You have not grown out of that in any way, sense. Okay. <laughs> okay, mom. This is shocking. <laughs> this is not a shocking self-realization.
0: It's. This is my Joe moment when I have a baby. Oh my gosh. Okay. That. What. What a great. What a great Easter egg for. Um, Ladies, what it, for part um, two of the podcast, yes, because yeah. as we know, this part, this this podcast, no, this podcast has three parts. <laughs> First part is. Mm-hmm. We talking, us talking about something going on, on the internet, something that, a hot take that you can submit to us. Email us at the Podcast at gmail.com if you, have, if you have a hot take for us to discuss. um, And it, it's also for us to just banter before we go into our second part of the podcast where we discuss a piece of media that we've consumed together. And this week, as we teased last week, we consumed a book together. We ate it. We ate the pages. We shoved them into our throats, and then, yeah, no. Um, and then we held out the author of the book captive and made her answer all of our questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what and and see.
1: entertain our little nerdy ideas of
0: what the book is
1: about and little things. Listen, I'm not a nerd. Uh, don't say that about me.
0: You can do that. You uh, can you can have almost
1: five thousand subscribers on your book thing. Makes you more of a nerd than.
0: I am. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> listen, I, I mean,
1: well, you have a YouTube channel, too, so. Yeah, but not a booktube channel. And mine yep. isn't active. Like, I don't, I don't even have a thousand subscribers, so.
0: Right. Well, anyway, exactly. so anyway. Oh, and the third, the third <laughs> part of the podcast is us recommending media to each other. Um, mm-hmm. So because we're we're the same, but also very different in very evil ways. So it's really yes. fun.
1: Yes. And today's hot take thing that we are again. None of you have emailed us.
0: None of you had emailed. No, wait, wait. we've that. had like three emails. There's one person who I think is from India and they're oh, talking yeah. about how they wanted us to discuss something that I think was really pertinent about like like basically like homonationalism and the idea and like imperialism within the con- the conception of queerness uh and stuff which we will we will definitely try to discuss yeah. on, a, on a different podcast maybe next week's um we'll see that was a very interesting email thank you and also someone emailed that us was. talking about like glee and to be honest now I don't think either of us have watched wait you've watched glee have you what's your glee relationship what's your glee status <laughs> what's my relationship status with glee um,
1: I used to, I watched it as a kid, like, as it was airing, like, week to week. Um, but my parents and I, once they, like, graduated, we didn't really uh, live, laugh, love with the New York storylines. Mm. Um, so I haven't seen, like, at all later seasons. Um, and I also haven't watched it since it aired. I did not go through that glee phase where everyone is watching it during quarantine on Netflix. Um so, you know, I just remember listening to the covers as a kid and some of the storylines and
0: the characters. Was Santana your gay awakening?
1: Surprisingly, no. But mm. I, I was. I remember being a kid and my parents not liking Quinn for Bray.
0: And I was like, no,
1: like, she is just like, yeah, she's a bitch sometimes, but in a fun, flirty kind of way.
0: And, I like, don't know who really Quinn Fabray is. Is she the blonde uh, cheerleader? Yes, Diana Agron. Okay. Yeah. Um. And I another, remember- another universe in the gay another per- active chess piece in the Gaylor universe. Yes. But so anyways.
1: Yes. So we will be talking about Glee maybe sometime in the future, and also that great email. But more emails, please. We have some.
0: I yeah. want or more. or message us on Twitter. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Do whatever. Do whatever you want, really. Um, and speaking of whatever you want, uh, we're talking about Kayla today uh, yeah. and and the iconic slideshow from 2018 called Reputation is about Carly Kloss, a comprehensive guide to the gayest album of 2017. And personally, although Reputation is not my Favorite? Okay, I don't have a favorite Taylor album because I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a slut for her music. So I can't, I can't do anything about that. But reputation is something that I just is so close to my heart, because I am always in my reputation era. I'm always in my reputation phase. I'm always in that mindset. And I just like listening to that album a lot. And I think that this is something that needs, needs to be deconstructed. And I'm glad that the Gaylers before us have done the work. Mm-hmm.
1: I also do not have, every time I think I have a favorite Taylor album, then I, like, remember another one. It's kind of like how I can't have a single favorite Taylor Swift song, because it just, like, like... I've gone through probably like six or seven favorite Taylor Swift songs
0: now in the yes. past. Well, see, so yeah, <laughs> we were talking about this last night because people were, there's this one t- like Swiftie TikTok that was like, what's, okay, you're getting in the car with your best friend. What song are you, what Taylor Swift song are we are you playing while driving? Yeah. And I, I, I failed. I failed, but. I Horrendously. Yeah, it was Horrendously. Really it was really bad. I'm so sorry. Uh, it was really because I thought you were. This... Okay, whatever. I thought okay, you continue, were continue. the basic bitch that we both ended up being because we both kind of like were like yeah August, so August, August is because I've so also with
1: the selection of the song because it it's not like they had every single one for songs. So August is one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs like <laughs> full disclosure.
0: <laughs> Hands but down, that's not bro. my
1: current number one favorite and it was not in the TikTok. So I feel like I'm right. not
0: that right. Easy. Right. I mean okay well your current number one favorite is long story short or no right where you left oh. me. Right where yes. you left me. My my favorite, I think, is long story short. Right now, um, I
1: I had a long story short phase though.
0: Okay. So exactly, and I I, I had mind. a this is me trying phase. I had yesterday. Okay, mm, kind of unrelated, but they're besties, so it's fine. Um, <sighs> yesterday I was having a liability by Lord moment. I was having a, I was having a time to blast liability and and not cry because oh I don't cry. I'm am sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a Cancer, but I'm a Capricorn Moon, so. Bitches do not cry. Bitches uh-huh. being me. Bitches being mm-hmm. me. I don't cry, okay? Anyway, so I wasn't trying. There sounds I like a crying.
1: lot of trying to establish that you didn't cry to cover up a very real possibility that you did, in fact, cry. I did not cry. Lot.
0: I was just really sad. I was really sad. So I was listening to live... I was really sad because I thought Renaissance hated me, which I think... Okay, I mean, listen. I think Renaissance does hate me still, but it's for a different reason that you, you, our listener, doesn't understand because Renaissance is not including that part of the podcast.
1: Okay. Well, this is, <laughs> this is the thing, is that I... I don't hate you. Th- okay, this is the cycle. Nothing happens. You think I hate you? I say I don't hate you. Then you do something that really annoys me <laughs> for like a brief moment, and I'm like, I, I need. Okay, this is this is nothing. I need space and time. I'm like, this isn't gonna last forever. I will like stop being annoyed at this. I just need space and time because we have space and time. Nothing continues to happen, but because nothing's happening, you think I hate you and then that cycle just goes over and over and over again of me saying I don't hate you you doing something that kind of really annoys me and then you thinking that I hate you because of that when that's not the case because you should know that as some as someone who's an Aries and has ADHD I feel very intense emotions briefly like they don't last it'll never yeah that's
0: what that's why I was having a liability moment yesterday because I mean I was really after you like texted me I was really considering typing something emotional and 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 really stupid, and then I was like, mm, let's not. So then I texted my friends and we talked about it, and that's what I was doing last night too. Last night I was like, oh guys. God. I'm going to go, guys, I need to jump off a cliff, right? I need to jump off a roof, but this time not not fall and get staples in my head, fall and just perish from this earth. I, <laughs>
1: not, I can't <laughs> believe, no, okay. Uh, well, now this is making me sound like I'm just, like, a bitch for, like,
0: 15 No, months, no, you're not a bitch. And, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bitch. I'm the, a little the thing bitch.
1: Is I, I have just been very emotionally exhausted and very, like, drained feeling, for a considerable amount of time now. And so I just, I was not in my quirky banter. Like, I just wasn't in my, like, best friend space. And I was watching a lot of movies, and I was like, oh, I should watch the movie that Sunny has been recommending, but I didn't want to be, like, watch it and not tell you and be like, oh, yeah, I watched a movie that you recommended me without saying anything. So I texted you and we watched the movie together, but it wasn't, like, the most interactive and, like, gaspy. Like, there are some moments, but you weren't looking at the... Tele party when I was like trying to spike uh, yeah, it on there anymore. I was
0: watching in the teleparty a lot, and then but you weren't looking at it. And then when you were, yeah. I wasn't looking at it. Like it was, yeah, a, yeah.
1: So there was like that kind of moment happening, and I just wasn't in my best space, but it wasn't like because of anything that like you had done in particular. It's just that I was feeling really emotionally drained and like wasn't down for like conversation. I just wanted to watch a movie. And so that's what ended up happening. And then Sunny thought that I just like hated them and wasn't talking to them Well, that wasn't the case I just like well I wanted to watch the movie but I didn't want to be like oh I'm going to watch this without you and I did really want to watch it with you I just wasn't in my,
0: my banter mood <laughs> yay I'm honored yes I, mm, I wonder I wonder what point I'm going to have to be at for this to be a, a re- like a reversal like for you, for you to think that I am the one who's being Who's, like being bitchy and like and being the one who's like dismissive and like not and not in the mood to like to like banter and talk I mm, I don't know you, I okay, one yeah okay this is thing is that
1: you are like I don't hmm, I don't know yeah I'm trying I to think a, because I'm trying to think of a situation in which you're like you reach your like max capacity before I do. Like I can see it being a mutual moment where we both need space and time, but I'm trying to think of a moment in where you would need it and I didn't, and I would have to like pick up on that, or mm, mm, yeah, or or we're like uh, at like react
0: to a boundary that
1: isn't mutual.
0: Yeah, it's probably just unlikely to happen just because I'm very I am. I think I will always be the, I'm always the crazy girlfriend in every relationship. And every relationship, I'm the crazy one. I'm the crazy, mm-hmm. I'm the crazy ex. I'm the crazy, I'm, but I'm also, okay, this is the other thing though. Because I am so insane, it makes me that much more like interesting. But then because I'm interesting and because I'm fun, because of mm-hmm. how insane I am, then I, because mm-hmm. then I, I was, this is why I was listening to liability and this is what I was talking about with my other friends was like, was like, because I'm so insane, I like get, friends from that but then like people are not just not physically able to deal with the actual insanity like up close as opposed to just observing it from afar and I mean this is just true for everyone I feel but it's like once you get to a level of like when someone like truly when you feel like someone is getting to a space where they like truly know you it's like that it it just becomes so it becomes so much more embarrassing to be vulnerable and yeah maybe that's just yeah It was,
1: I think it's, it's like, it's not the, it's not the closeness or or getting to know someone. It's just, it's not self-sustaining. Like it, it, it takes a lot to maintain that over a long period of time, you know, because it's kind of like when you go to like summer camp with someone or like a really small stint and you can get really intimate and really close and really, really know someone. But the thing is that that only lasts. Like you know that there's an endpoint, and so when you have like a friendship with someone that is more, you know, as as long as you maintain the friendship, it can keep going. Yeah, this is back to respecting boundaries. You have to respect people's boundaries in order to recharge or to let them have their own, like time to you know put in the work to maintain that friendship you can't you like you you just can't go full throttle yeah Yeah. like sometimes you have to like park the car
0: in the getaway car i left you in the hotel okay anyway so speaking of reputation let's Mm -hmm. let's so i'm i'm looking at the google slide right now and i think if you want to look at this as well just go to like what is it called? Like KaylorEvidence.com or something. I like, just search up like Kaler slideshow. You'll see it. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, basically here it's saying that you know. Disclaimer Everything I listed here is my personal opinion and speculation. I'm not claiming to know Taylor personally. I'm not here to label her sexuality for her. She could be bi lesbian, sexual questioning. She might even identify Mm -hmm. as straight. That's not our business. If y'all speculate that these songs are about men, I'm allowed to speculate that they're about a woman. So, this is, I mean, that's a pretty good approach to, I mean, that's how we approach it, I feel as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because the minute
1: that Taylor Swift, like, says unequivocally, you know, she, she is straight, heterosexual. Has but not even if she does, it's like
0: how many of us said we mm, never mind. That's been me. Well, like. that. But like, uh, you know, then
1: I would like respect and listen to that. But the thing is that that hasn't happened, and she has, she has had very public, very close relationships with women. And so I yeah. think it's, and also even if she is straight, and these weren't explicitly what she would identify as relationships as we will talk about, as you will hear in the interview later, is that really, really close female friendships always kind of blur that line yes. anyway, that yes. I still think makes a lot of the clues that people pick up on valid, whether or not um, Yes, it was, like, what she, what she would call the same as, like, the relationship she's had with ex-boyfriends or something like that.
0: For sure. Um, and so, to discuss, okay, the thing is, I was thinking about this this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm like actually like three people removed from Carly (laughs) Claus because one of my good friends were or not Carly Claus Taylor Swift. One of my good friends Mm -hmm. works for Carly Claus at her coding company, Code with Klossy. and then you know Carly Claus is you know obviously kind of did Taylor Swift. So I'm only wow I'm only three people removed from her. That's so crazy. But to describe who Carly Claus is, uh she was she's actually from St. Louis which is where I'm from um and where I am and she's from St. Louis she was scouted at like Chesterfield mall which if you're from St. Louis you'll you'll know how kind of silly that is or maybe not Chesterfield maybe Galleria I don't remember anyway she's like a giraffe she's like very tall and she she's you know Taylor Swift describes her as quote a Victoria's Secret angel lady someone who has quote shiny abs quote actual sunshine Taylor's favorite person to dance with I mean this was before this was in 2018 or before because you know there is a fallout there's a fallout uh because as you know lots of very almost toxically closed female friendships have reached a point of like a fallout um which I guess is what wh- is what boundaries are for
2: <laughs> yeah
0: so that doesn't happen but listen um we're in a getaway car now. Uh, now the, the
1: rest of the podcast, the entire show, is going to be dedicated to figuring out of Taylor uh, is Carly the one that did not respect boundaries,
0: or was it and Taylor?
1: I think I think Taylor respectfully, Taylor, I love you. If you ever find this podcast, <laughs> ha- have you done self reflecting on <laughs> <laughs>
0: Taylor? Taylor, let us know. Email us. Mm. Like, let us know. Email us. What's What's the self reflection? Where What yeah. do we think? You know.
1: Oh my god. Anyways, so reputation thing about Taylor, very very personal,
0: very close to home. Um. <laughs> so basically, apparently they were inseparable leading up to and during the nineteen eighty nine era, one of I think the most pivotal era in Taylor Swift's career. I feel. Uh, I yes. Mean, yes. Um. And, okay, this is, according to Rolling Stone, Carly has her own bedroom in Taylor's apartment that Taylor keeps stocked with her favorite snacks. Doesn't matter that Carly has her own damn apartment a few minutes away. She needs her own room at her best friend's house. How convenient! Uh, Public reaction
1: what the that sounds like a line that like secret uh lesbian actresses in like the 40s and 30s would say like back it's, giving, when everyone, it's like,
0: giving the seven husbands of evelyn hugo it's giving like dress. back when
1: ev- it didn't matter what women did they were they could only be seen as like close friends so they could fully like make out and people would yeah. be like oh best friends they're but, sisters like, was happening in the
0: 2010s like when yeah
1: people knew lesbians were real and existed. And yeah. they're like, yes, I yeah. have them." Like, that exactly.
0: is so... Another thing about cool. Kayla that I think is so funny is that, okay, in this slide, show, there's so many, like, compilations of, like, there are, like, photos together and stuff, like, them holding hands and, like, all this, where it's, like, and them hugging really close and tight. so it's, like, the thing is is that because they're women like people give a pass to so much of what women do and it's also not helped by the fact that like you know straight girls baiting on tiktok love to like go viral for like kissing each other or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like where where it's like, like even the public perception of what is queer and what isn't like is so like fucking blurred but something okay a comment that i have about the whole killer thing is that If it was, like, a legit, if it was, like, a relationship in any sense of the term beyond a platonic friendship. Like, it is such a clear example of how, like, lesbians, like, or, like, gay people, like, just date carbon copies of each other. Because these girls look the same. Like. They do. No, I mean, well, that's even been shown with, like,
1: her and Joe even kind of look like. Yeah, they look like siblings. Come on now. Yeah. I think that's just Taylor, which. Taylor liking people who look like her is not helping her case of not being gay.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But see, basically, okay, so another point on the PowerPoint is that public interaction between the two died down when they were caught dancing very closely. This was hashtag kissgate at a mm-hmm. 1975 concert in December 2014. So, but there, and it says here, since this, this like, this PDF document was, like, published in... 2018 it says as far as we know they remain close quote-unquote friends to this day but the thing is that we do know now that they're not friends I mean at least from one from what I know from my friends at like Code with Clossy and from what they've in their conversations with Carly Kloss over the years is that like by like 2018 it was pretty clear that they were not really talking or in each other's lives anymore and like the sort of public understanding and speculation around this is because carly claus still close friends with scooter Braun, who used to be taylor swift's not like manager but like someone who kind of had control over her record her record dealings and stuff so he -hmm. never gave her back he never gave her the copy of her like Full, you know, her master recordings of her original albums, which is why she's releasing these. She's re releasing these re recordings because so she can have full ownership of her own music. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that Carly, like, in from what we understand, if Carly Kloss was the betrayer here, I guess for not respecting like a very obvious like career boundary within their relationship as these rich, famous people. So when
1: 1989 was happening in this okay okay no even further back so in middle school and in high school i used to be obsessed with the victoria secrets runway show that was televised gay um, gay gay i know it should have been a red flag like that was literally one of my favorite televised events of the year I didn't give a fuck about anything else. The Oscars, Golden Globes, and the Victoria's Secret runway show were like my favorite televised things, Um, and still hold a very special place in my heart. Less of the Taylor or Victoria's Secret ones, but award shows still do. Anyway, so I watched. I was like on Instagram, watching with my eyes, like Carly Kloss and Taylor Swift meeting, and when Taylor Swift performed at that Victoria's Secret runway. And all the like behind the scenes interviews and that are like uh, interspersed in the show on TV and also just on YouTube. Like wh- I watched their friendship form before my very eyes in middle school in very formative years, and I really, really liked like their friendship like as public figures, you know, and stuff like that. And followed both of them on Instagram, and so I saw all these pictures. And me now being an out lesbian and knowing and reflecting back on like things that, oh, that was a very gay thing of me in middle school and liking this friendship (laughs) and relating to this friendship in a very like way during my formative years is like, oh, that was a very gay thing of me. Do they know that that was
0: really gay? gay. you know. Do you like, even were, know that that was gay?
1: Yeah, like were they in their middle school? I don't know if I'm gay or if this is my best friend era. But like, as adult women, publicly, right? Because I'd be like, oh, I want it, want that, but all me also thinking that that was best friendship, and now realizing that that was actually mm, yeah, I need me to be. I need to of course you. Sunny has to pee once again. I think that they are gay, and I'm like, <laughs> I think that they're gay because I'm gay, and it, you know, it's kind I of know. like I the know. the from the show Boondocks where it's like. I saw a gay, so I said gay. Gay. That's not bullying. That's an astute observation. So that's how I feel about Kaylor. But then I have a really close friendship with my friend, Kristen. And Kristen is really, really straight. Kristen, if you're listening to this, I don't think she listens to her podcast, but if she does. So. Um, she is really, really straight. And I love her very, very much because she's my best friend. And I would, like, my hands would get really cold in class. And I would force her to hold hands with me around <laughs> school campus. I'm like, you will hold my hands because my hands are cold. And we, like, I would lay on her lap in class. And yeah. we would, like, stick our hands in each other's sleeves. And the teacher would be like, you you guys need to separate. <laughs> like, you cannot be just like swinging your legs on each other but like we are just best friends like there's absolutely like she's my best friend she's very straight that that's all that it is so then I'm looking at Kayla and I'm like well if they have a friendship dynamic that was like Kristen and I and like Taylor Swift is obviously somewhat fruity and I would guess Kayla's more or Kayler Carly is more of the straight one. <laughs> oh my god! Then, like, I could see how people could like misconstrued that or whatever, you know, and and see that. But also, one, they are adults, and me and my best friend were children, and so children have mm-hmm. really close friendships with each other,
0: mm-hmm. as we talk and, about later in the podcast.
1: Yeah, and second of all, like. I've never had my own room. at Christian's yeah. childhood home. Like, I mean, if I like needed a place to stay for like emergency, and I went to a place, I don't think they would kick me out. But yeah. like, they're since they're both such wealthy women with so much independence in terms of like spending their own money and very established careers, the amount of time and like the amount of their life that they did dedicate to their to each other during this era is like, is there any other reason besides y'all were gay? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that's what we as a nation, as a society, need to grapple with.
0: I agree. And see, the thing is, is that in this uh, in this slideshow, that is, you know, a work of genius and like like more more important than I think the Magna Carta, is that <laughs> reputation is prefaced by this long statement that Taylor Swift r- wrote, basically talking about you know, gossip blogs will scour the lyrics for men they can attribute to each song, slideshows backing up each incorrect theory. <laughs> Which we are, mm-hmm. we're reading the slideshow, but yeah, incorrect anyway. We think we know someone, but the truth is we only know the version of them they have chosen to show us. So she really was really talking about hidden love and not centering this public perception of who she is both in the sense in the misogynistic sense of like you know tabloids were always following her around asking you know who she was dating and what the songs were about and naming names and whatever and then in interviews she talks about how she doesn't want to name names and she tries to not i mean Mm -hmm. unless it's like specific songs like dear john or like style or you know she in in reputation it's pretty there's a lot of use of like second person there's a lot of only one inclusion of a pronoun throughout the entire song. That's not I. Um, it's just very, it's very interesting in how it's secretive and therefore gay. <laughs> and also I think her
1: um, in, in saying that like, you know, she is showing what she wants people to know and what pe- wants people to see and that, you know, people kind of make up these theories um, are kind of looking for meaning beyond what she shared but also if people have listened to all of our episodes you may remember that I have brought up before that people speculate that the reason why gay people went particularly feral over folklore and evermore is because and and like her straight were just like oh this is a really good Taylor Swift album but less on the gay front is that she was able to like weave in these messages and these motifs that perk our little gay ears up like little chihuahuas right um, that like straight people wouldn't understand so she was able to come she was able to come out to a very specific group of people who would be able to get it without having to out herself in any like public way way. yeah in any public way
0: on, one, on page 11 of the slideshow, there's a screenshot of a Tumblr post from user A kemper 18 and it says, the title is Ready For It. This might have been said before, but listening to Ready For It, which is the opening song on the Reputation album, I noticed Taylor switches pronouns often. At first, she uses he. Knew he was a killer. First time that I saw him. Then she switches to, to saying, to you saying, you should see the things we do, baby. I know I'm going to be with you, so I take my time. It's like she's talking about two people in two situations. The he she refers to could be her beard, and the you she is speaking directly to is someone else. Someone she knows she will be with soon. So in the meantime, she takes her time. No one has to know. She switches back to he every time she is talking about the jailer, the robber, ransom, thief. But when she sings of passion and secret love she switches to you. They could be two different people, Beard and Lover, which is so funny because oh. the album right after Reputation is Lover. Yeah.
1: I I had... That's good. I have always been very... Um, like, when people are like, oh, Taylor Swift had to have been writing about a man because she uses, like, he pronouns. I'm like, first, she, she.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: it is... It does not ruin a rhyme scheme. Uh-huh. Or a
0: syllable count to and plus, in take In live concerts, she does change pronouns sometimes.
1: Exactly. And also, like, Elton John, in one of his songs, is like, in, uh... Oh, I can't remember the name of the song, because so I can't hear it in my mind right now. But, like, he says, like, my wife, and, like, talks about, um dating women and having sexual relationships with women and it's like it's Elton John like <laughs> like like what are you doing so people are like oh Taylor can't be gay because she's written about men before or we've seen her in public with men before I'm like Elton John had to come out so like our bar <laughs> like yeah.
0: the bar is quite low
1: and like for authors and like she's a writer like she she creates she writes about her life, but also writes fiction. So this idea that it would be impossible for her to be able to either one, have relationships with men, which like is very possible, like we say on the podcast, it's very possible that she's bi. Um, And that would explain why she has these public, or things that the public and paparazzi can read as romantic relationships with men, but whenever she has very intimate relationships with women, that if you look at them, should be treated much more similarly are just brushed off as like oh just they girls were being friends. girls yeah just girls being girls so
0: yeah and like the, the especially the end game the, the well it was one of the singles off the album I think um, mm-hmm. was how it's like big reputation big reputation you and me would be a big conversation right it's like mm-hmm. the thing is is that her and Joe yes Joe That's- Allen not Taylor, Taylor, big reputation. Yeah. Taylor ha Tech, Tech Carly, Miss Carly, big reputation. Mm-hmm. You and me would be a big mm-hmm. conversation. I mean, it would be, right? Um, And also, one of the lyrics is, like, it's like your body is gold. And so, and then in dressed it's like golden tattoo. So it's, like, gold as a theme and as an element. What well, it's, it's, it's giving Taylor, you little know? Little gay, babes.
1: It's giving a little, little, little bit gay. It's a little gay.
0: It's a little gay. little bit gay. But,
1: uh-huh. yeah, I think that they are gay. And also, also, I, I this, this particular slideshow is about like reputation is about Carly class. And I think that it gives very much, um, no pun intended, blow for blow <laughs> yeah. uh, or blow by blow description of that relationship. And it's very, it's very much how I think Taylor Swift should write about it. Like right after it had ended or, or kind of the feelings with the paparazzi always looking at them during that relationship whereas lover lover i think has more it's gay first of all lover is one of the gayest albums because like she's so like, it's the bisexual hair it's the gay it is outfits,
0: it's it's very it's, much yeah. more
1: like pride and like just
0: it's it's giving target like, pride collection it's giving target pride a little collection. bit little bit bad like i was listening to it in the car with the lesbian bestie that i was talking about in mm-hmm. in the other part of the podcast that so you'll hear later dear listener uh we mm-hmm. were talking about how like london boys started playing and she was like yeah this is this is some target pride section music like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's true but uh folklore and evermore i think
1: sound more reflective and more it's the about cottage like core lesbian
0: experience
1: It is, and also just more honest about Mm -hmm. the experience, whereas, like, I think Reputation reputation in particular talks more about when we say that, like, really close, intimate girl friendships kind of blur the line between what is romantic, what is platonic, what is sapphism, what is just two besties um and really explores that in an interesting way and just kind of like what it is to be attracted to someone whereas um lover is target pride and then folklore and evermore are very much about like now you know that you are sapphic (laughs) and what does that no exactly um, and what stories can you pull like what What literary history can influence, you know, your writing now that you know and are more secure and you've had that experience being sapphic and spent that time and I think that's part of why those later two albums really show like growth um, in her music.
0: I think that, well, another, the slideshow for Don't Blame Me, like, Don't Blame Me is such a gay song, because, listen, mm-hmm. I once was Poison Ivy, but now I'm your daisy! You know how she goes yeah. in, in her head voice, yes. I once was Poison Ivy, <laughs> but now I'm your daisy. And she's really, like, Car- okay, quote from the slideshow, Carly literally Instagrammed this picture with the caption <laughs> best road trip ever, with the picture of a daisy on the dashboard and tagged Taylor as the daisy. And taylor in the reputation booklet of her like you know uh, her writing initially her songwriting she doodled a very similar daisy in the reputation booklet and also in the instagram photos of this trip she's wearing a daisy Cat carly is wearing a daisy in her hair and she there's a picture of her um of her draw- Oh, my nose is bleeding again. So if you hear me grabbing tissues, <laughs> it's because my nose is bleeding. Basically, there's a picture of Carly with Daisy in her hair, drawn mm-hmm. with a finger in the sand. Carly, Hart, Taylor. Like, that's good. Get- How, like, why?
1: If- okay. Not me saying okay again. But if you took this friendship, like, uh, just these and these it was people, a dude. Uh, uh, very similar, if Carly uh, was very a similar. dude uh, no it, these this friendship e- either them exactly but like their lives have changed but, like some people with the amount of just like eyes on them yeah as they were there and superimpose this friendship in this relationship now in 2021 yeah the every headline would be gay yes gay <laughs> which is gay. Oh my god, these yes. bitches are gay. Good for them. Like the Literally. Fact that they got away not got away with it, but that the, the actual, audience I mean, that recognized
0: this was so limited.
1: Yeah, and like it was just like fans and like people online obviously recognized it and, and were connecting dots. But like the fact that like regular conversation, like why were they not invited to GLAAD Awards? Like, like <laughs> where, where was the Trevor Project and all of this? Like why like how did this just go and also for me now looking at this as an adult lesbian and looking back on my memories of seeing their friendship as just a little gay but not knowing middle schooler and being like why didn't I think that this was gay like why did I just what was wrong with me literally feed into this idea that like oh they're just best friends when like I have never in my life seen a friendship like this. this I've never seen two
0: pretty best friends who are not gay. Exactly.
1: I've never seen two pretty best friends and therefore they're not best friends. They are girlfriends and have a very serious relationship.
0: And delicate only proves this even more because it's gender neutral. You must like, you must Mm -hmm. like me for me and third floor on the West side. Me and you Carly's NYC apartment is on the West side. The master bedroom is on the third floor. dark jeans and your nikes look at you carly used to be an ambassador for nike oh damn never seen that color blue carly's eyes are blue taylor's wearing a rainbow while singing delicate in the reputation tour and while gay people don't own the rainbow we do so they
1: do people who say that gay people don't own the rainbow why why would we not
0: exactly give me proof otherwise
1: yeah (laughs) <laughs> anyway, no, like, it's, and this is why there are questions of who's the, of who broke whose boundaries, because Taylor's like, I'm only telling you what I want to tell you, and I'm a writer, and yada, 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 but girl, you just described head to toe someone that you have a very close public relationship with, so... Right. Are you just not, I mean, because I don't want to say, like, to say, oh, Taylor Swift is so unimaginative that you can't describe someone who she doesn't know in real life. But also, like, the math is mathing before our very eyes. So when we consensually kidnap Taylor Swift and make her (laughs) ask all of our questions, we will bring up the slideshow and be like, what do you have to say for yourself?
0: Yeah. And then the next song on the album, so it goes, (laughs) is... It's a lyric in "You Are in Love," uh, which is another song that's speculated to be about Carly, and also like one of the lyrics. And so it goes is like "Gold Cage, hostage to my feelings." Gold, once again, as like a thing, a, a, a what's the term? Motif. A, fucking, a motif throughout this fucking album. Yeah, that's that's Miss Carly, babe. Hostage mm-hmm. to my feelings. The closet, the closet, the closet is gold. It's a gold cage, mm-hmm. and so you're trapped by it. You know, like. This where you and then the and then the so it goes where you like a necklace, but okay, okay, okay. Here, there's pictures of Taylor Swift and Carly Klaus having matching like initial pendants of like K and T. Um, do they
1: wear each other's?
0: No, so they does wear, wear
1: the K, no, no, no. she wears wear
0: the T and Carly okay. wears the K, it's like okay. the same. Necklace mm-hmm. though, it's giving very
1: Call me by your name.
0: Call me by you Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, they have matching initial pendants. Um, caught up in the moment. Lipstick on your face. But like that's interesting because there's these paparazzi photos of them walking out of like these bushes and like what looks like a LA sidewalk or something, and like Carly Claus is like wiping her face and there's like a red like like blotch on it like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's, oh the thing is, is that
1: I'm sure some of these things could be just simply explained, like whatever. Yeah, but the thing is that, that since they're left unexplained, and these of course, we're just parallel with it, it's like so many of these things could be answered, but you haven't. And also now, their friendship is so layered with like obviously. Uh, Carly's still being friends with Scooter and getting married and them not talking anymore that now any answering of these questions, any recognition of what this is would be so like layered. I'd be mm-hmm. like is that even true? Are you just saying this? Is it because right. it's ended? What is the truth?
0: hmm And like the song Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everyone thinks it's about Joe, but listen. It was written after they met at the Met Gala and several uh-huh. weeks before they started dating. Um, uh, apparently according to the, the primary sources and clips in this slideshow, and it's also, like, it's interesting because in the Reputation tour, like, the, the dance number to Gorgeous, it's all female dancers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Very gay, you of the Taylor. Taylor. Instead of he's in the club doing, I don't know what, it's, I haven't seen him in a couple of months, is, that was supposed to be the original lyrics, uh-huh. um, if you got a girlfriend, I'm jealous of her, but if you're single, it's honestly worse. Which,
1: I heard that that line was, um, about he's in the club, haven't seen him for a couple of months, the original, uh-huh. oh yeah, it says she's out of touch with her public boyfriend, which at the time was Calvin Harris, I believe, uh-huh. and it says, uh-huh. Shade, towards
0: him which like yeah he deserves it it's true correct and like because he like wrote songs that she even worked on songs that she helped him with and like didn't put her as a co-writer like that's nasty Mm -hmm. um but also like the whole the line of like if you got a girlfriend i'm jealous of her but if you're single it's honestly worse to be honest, in this situation, like, she kind of is the girlfriend in the question because she's still, like, dating Calvin Harris, even though they've not really been publicly seen together. And, like, obviously there's, like, having problems with so Gorgeous is really about people who, like, don't really know if the other person is single or you might not be. Like, but it's also, like, another takeaway from that line is, like, well, if you're single and you don't have a girlfriend, then that's just – then how would you know that that person is gay? Because <laughs> <laughs> if mm-hmm. you're talking about a girl and she says, no, I don't have a girlfriend, it's, like, okay so does that mean you're not gay like are so you Taylor. The right Ugh.
1: and like i mean <laughs> sorry. The, uh, i just saw a point on the slideshow that says one of the original lyrics was i'm so curious what's it like making me feel this way and the only annotation just says gay gay exclamation gay which honestly, that's how I would annotate my books in high school, especially for summer assignments where we had to have an annotation per page. I would just track the gayness.
0: Indeed, the book as one should. <sighs> a circus and a love story, and now we're both sorry. We're both sorry. X okay, marks. Well, anyway, that's the an next. We point.
1: have been okay. So now our conversation just now has been an hour. Our conversation with Ellie Eaton was awesome. um. So, how are we going to do this? I don't know. A lot of editing, maybe another two part episode. Who knows? Um, but uh, that is our kind of discussing of Kayla, which is very interesting. I think we should do it again.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't, okay. Just full disclosure, I feel bad for people who aren't in Kayla. I don't know when we're going to stop starting our episodes talking about Taylor Swift and the sapphism that comes with Taylor Swift and her discography. <laughs> Maybe we never will. Until Someone Taylor tweeted Swift. at
0: us on our joint account that like yes. them listening to our episode about Taylor Swift is like, okay, I've never, I've never been a Swifty, don't know anything about Swifty lore. But now that like you're talking about it, I'm like writing that, yes, Taylor Swift is a lesbian, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly we just we're trying to
1: just turn out little Swifty gay lore armies. Um to to spread our agenda that Taylor Swift just gave. And I think I'm I'm really excited for whatever the tenth album is going to be and the re-recordings. If we're maybe we'll get some of the original lyrics, maybe, maybe we'll get more pronoun changes. Who mm. knows? Who um, knows? Only time will tell. But the next thing that our lovely listeners are going to hear is our very fun interview that we did with Ellie Eaton and it was kind of less of an interview and more of us Sunny and I just being like so we noticed this was this like (laughs) Mm -hmm. what uh what was your take on this how did that kind of fall into the story um and I definitely felt like a fraud in the mix I don't know if it was if you could hear it or if you could see it I felt like because I'm such not a book person and Ellie is literally an author who wrote the book and obviously is very well read and reads a lot. I'm like, I was trying to be like, not, this reminds me of this movie, um, which I didn't. And she brought up a movie that I was going to reference before I did. So I was like, oh, that's super cool. Hell yeah. Um, But it was also a comic stri- strip. So she might have been talking about the comics, but it's also very popular. The comic became a very popular movie. Um, Actually, that was going to be my recommendations. So, dear listener, what you are going to hear is us transitioning into uh, the interview with Ellie Eaton. I hope you enjoy it. It was super fun to um, record, and Sonia and I are going to uh, transition back to our recommendations that we usually do at the end of the episode, so... Before you hear our recommendations, here is our interview with
0: Ellie Eaton. This section, this is the part of the podcast where we talk about um, a book, or well, in this case, a book that me and Renaissance both read, and that was Ellie Eaton's debut novel, her coming of age novel, *The Divines*, and we both adored this book, rated at five stars on Goodreads, and we're, we're both also like. Kind of shocked that it didn't have an above four point like three star average on goodreads i mean because like since i'm on booktube like I, I, when people like love a book it's like so obvious on like goodreads and like when people talk about it but i just haven't heard anything so i was like i was really taken aback well
2: there is that really interesting article about goodreads on uh Hub, i think uh-huh um that it talks all about that why do certain books get put in this window and I think that it's between 3.2 and 3.6 yeah there's a whole section of writers like exciting times and yeah yeah and a bunch of of books that have you know have been everywhere and and are doing well but then just seem to the take that the writer has Ruth is that is about Women discussing women's bodies, it's very very, yeah, yeah. and that's I mean, fascinating to me. Right, right, right. I mean, I was going to say that in one of uh, the, one of the discussion points
0: I wrote down was that I read in one of your interviews that you really like Otessa, or like you were inspired by Otessa Moshvag, sort of yeah. like description of the body and stuff. And I've also read Exciting Times and Luster and um, Eileen and uh, obviously. Um, oh my gosh, my year of rest and relaxation and stuff. And, oh, I, yeah. and I do think like what you're talking about with people's just general discomfort with the idea of like the nitty grittiness of like girlhood and womanhood is like
2: what alienates a lot of readers. Absolutely, yeah. And it's so interesting to me because I mean, I don't know the breakdown of, of readers on Goodreads, like who is who are the people that are giving these ratings? But I'd imagine them like quite a large percentage of female. Yeah. And so you, I find that all the more baffling because it seems that men writing about um, sex and malehood, like and male. malehood, don't have this yeah. and, and even, I mean, I think in this article it points to like quite provocative, visceral. Um, queer writing for men also yes. have that problem and i'm like exactly well, that's interesting
0: like how yeah. fascinating yeah. yeah i don't why does call me by your name have such a high rating on goodreads <laughs> like oh,
2: i know i mean i tried so you know you you go into publishing and you're aware that there are these like goodreads giveaways and so you, I, I became sort of aware of the platform in a way that i hadn't prior to getting published and then i just had advice of people to just been like just just don't go near it it's just not great if you're a got a book on there. It really for readers, that it is readers but don't don't engage in and you Never. go no i won't and then of course you find yourself at like 3 a.m just like gasping like oh my gosh they just ate me <gasps> beautiful like really considered. i mean there's everything on there but yeah. i think at a certain stage um largely due to the freedom app which i just was like for my own sanity i can check it on, on a friday it's today? I could check it if I wanted. And uh, uh, and then and and then I just sort of stopped caring a little bit. Like I would. Yeah.
0: Say that's know. good. That's good. Because me and Renaissance were also talking about. There's this one author, <laughs> Lauren Huff. Do you remember? I don't know if you were there for this drama, but basically, basically, she got like dragged on Twitter because she um. got really mad at these reviewers who gave her book like 4.5 stars.
2: Did they? Did they trash her on Goodreads? They just like they would-
0: her with one star. No.
2: No. Yeah. 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 That happened
1: after. She's getting really good, like four stars. Yeah, but was yeah, getting upset that not every single review was five stars. Was five star. And then just like completely disregarding all the people who were like in the review was praising the book, but like yeah. down at from 4.5 to 4. Yeah.
0: And now she's suffering the consequences of having like a million one stars because reviewers are just like
2: so mad at her for like really interesting I never felt like mad I feel like I would be completely disingenuous to say like a horrific one-star review is gonna like needle there's just no way around it there's just no way around it but but at the same time I think I'd be a bit worried if I'd read a book that was universally loved I think I just think I'd done something wrong because I feel you don't want your book to be loved by everyone because some people are fucked up like (laughs) and also you feel like well I want a book that um provokes that isn't safe that is as challenging or strange or unusual and those are the books that I love and I think whenever I felt a bit um insecure about it what I like to do is if someone really hates my book I just look at the books they love and if I'm like oh they really love this kind of fiction that I have n- I'm not into then I'm like well that makes sense that makes it's not a reflection on them or me it's just their like reading preferences neither no judgment in, in like any scenario. Sure. Yeah. Um.
0: I mean, okay, so let's, let's give our audience a kind of breakdown of your story and let me know if, if you think any of this is wrong. Because like my takeaways might be not correct. <laughs> okay, so the story follows an alternating perspective between our main character, Josephine's past, and her present. In every other chapter, we experience this novel from the perspective of a, Brit- of a British girl from a posh family who attends a very posh all-girls boarding school, St. John the Divine, that's rife with potent, vicious, and bitingly realistic teenage angst and melodrama. And the other chapters follow a grown-up Josephine who moves around a lot with a like perfect German husband, exploring themes of motherhood and like mother-daughter relationships, the perspectives of teenage girls that you know they have with each other and how our teenage selves inform who we are and who we become as adults. We know from the beginning of the book that there was a major and tragic incident at the boarding school, and that Josephine, as an adult, is married but still desperately clinging on to her past and uncomfortable reminiscences of her girlhood. And Following up the lead up, uh, as well as so we follow the lead up to that like tragic event, as well as the like follow up to or like the follow through with her marriage and everything. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So me and me and Minus Renaissance think the Divines is like a masterpiece in its exploration of like girlhood, adulthood, oh, like, self perception, and others' perception. Oh my gosh, like how the past influences the present. Anyway. <laughs>
2: thank you yeah that was a lovely description where were you when I was having to pitch it to people and describe it I feel like (laughs) that. (laughs) really annoying well great now I know
1: (laughs) I adored the book and it might come as like a surprise because I typically don't like like historically I've never liked stories about teenagers like even I just turned 20 so I literally just exited 15 years yeah and even then like outside of children's stories that are about teenagers. I never really liked the depiction but I felt like what was so enjoyable about this book is that it's actually like in the mind of adult Josephine remembering these things and that's what made it like really like grounded and enjoyable um, for someone who like wouldn't necessarily be interested in boarding school stories. Um, and I so don't
2: I think I'm very interested in boarding school stories which yeah. is really because I grew up reading like Enid Blyton's and there was this um play called Daisy Pulls It Off about you know posh girls at a boarding school coming good and saving the day and like there were centurions was around and stuff and none of that appealed to me I just I was just like well I don't know perhaps because I I lived some of that to a certain extent and I and I was kind of repulsed by it and I just wanted to get as far away from it as humanly possible but I know what you mean sometimes you just don't want to read about material that feels too close to your own lived experience yeah. and I think maybe that's, that's was where it, it was.
1: important when you were writing to not make it like a teenage story or was that just something that like because you just said that like that's not something you're interested in it just kind of came naturally that it wasn't Oops. a teenage story
2: um yeah I think it was interesting. I had a conversation when I was first looking for an agent uh, in America, and I, I attached to a woman that, that really loved the teenage voice. was like she firmly believed it was a YA book, and I was so surprised by that. I mean, largely because I'm, um, and this is on me really. That I I read all, not one, almost no YA books that I know of. Um, like
0: a literary fiction kind of reader. <laughs> yeah, and no, and
2: also, but I think what really struck me was that. I felt like you just couldn't have the two stories independently they would have been incredibly lopsided and and I think that the whole point of the book is that like one how does memory work like what's going on with us as adults when we look and reflect on our our date our days at school or our youth and also like how do those moments when we're teenagers inform who we become as adults because I think quite often people treat adolescence as this sort of stepping stone it's like oh well it's this stage that you need to get through to get to the other side and I'm like well there is no other side you just kind of are and this idea that what you do when you're a teenager you're perhaps not responsible for you you know your brain's not fully formed so it doesn't really matter I find that quite a troubling idea yeah I heard Um, that
0: you I sorry I keep on hogging the talking space renaissance but this is this is a common issue anyway uh something that I noticed in um one of your interviews was wait why did that just literally left my mind what were you Brett Kavanaugh oh my god
2: yeah yeah and I felt like very reluctant to talk about that because a that happened sort of after I'd really written the bulk of the divines Uh and also to compare posh girls at school with someone who'd been raped just felt Yeah. A pretty weird ground and I, and I didn't want to say that they were the same things but I think one of the things I kept thinking about when that was going on was like this this sort of idea by like one one the camera people that, that well it didn't really matter because he was young it was so long ago even even if he did do it even if something like this happened yeah. you know he was a teenager and it was like wait, is that, is this this ultimate guess out was? The things that we do as teenagers, do they not have consequences? Should we not go back and apologize? Should we not like look at those actions and question them and challenge them? And yeah, I, I found that um, terrifying, this idea that he was sort of somehow could, it, it was all okay, it could be washed over because it was something he'd done when he was too young to be held accountable. Yeah,
0: which is why I like how Joe grapples with her guilt for the entirety of the book and how it just haunts her and even people in her life know that it's not good for her but like she just can't shake it off and I feel like that's probably that's that's a really it's a very like empathetic way to like frame a character like her because Josephine is the kind of person who like in high school would have like bullied me like (laughs) so it was very interesting I I kind of yeah the position of seeing her because I was like girl you made so many mistakes that's on you like you were fucked up dude like (laughs)
2: and own it you kind of what's so interesting isn't it about her as a character I think is that she positions herself as the victim Mm -hmm. so long in the story she she really feels that she is the um she's invisible that she is not the center of this universe and then you know you come to learn I suppose down the line that maybe that's not maybe that's not true or maybe that's this very passive aggressive way of, of of deflecting your guilt or saying like oh no you know or not owning it you know but she, yet she can't let go she wants to she feels this huge compulsion to just understand and and make good there is a you know she's neither I really find that I, I don't ever relate to characters in books who are either one thing or another, because I just think that's kind of ridiculous. And I think that, you know, she is neither good nor bad. She's neither fully victim nor bully, but she has capa- like the capacity for incredible cruelness. I mean, particularly when it comes to, to Lauren, you just think how she was able to take in Lauren as a friend and then, and then you know, break her you know almost the last time you physically see Lauren she's on her knees so yeah she's not she's not a comfortable character for a lot of people I think
1: yeah I really loved Lauren so the ending of the book was particularly heartbreaking because like the entire time because Sunny read it before I did and I'd be like I love Lauren Lauren just said something really funny (laughs) I want her to come back and then to see how that like the evolution of that character and that relationship throughout the story was really like satisfying as, as a reader because you wanted something and pleasantly like that was undercut, but also like-
2: Yeah, I, I it's just a heartbreaking character in lots of ways because the thing about the divines is, and the thing about how private schools work is that the kids in those schools are given this, um, the tools and the language and the codes of behavior that will get them through life that will get them you know the unpaid internships that will get them you know through the door this network of old boys and old girls like that's how those worlds operate and it's so interesting when you take a character like Lauren who has no access to that kind of language she just doesn't have that armory at her like disposal and so like when she asks she makes this presumption I suppose that Jo when she's doing her work experience will have got paid and of course she hasn't it's a job that she got through her godmother and she stayed in her godmother's house and like it's all and so Lauren you know though she's smarter than so many of the divines would never be offered that same opportunity and and so you just feel like I'm really really reluctant to like tie things up in neat bows but I did get to the end of the book and feel like I just need to read really to know that Lauren's alright and you only get her very very small glance of her you know through her brother's girlfriend when she, you know that she's at least left the town like she's got out of that town at least you don't know much more about her but yeah I wanted there to be some hope surrounding Lauren because she's by far like my favourite character I suppose yeah,
0: yeah. for sure I, I think that's the portrayal of how she gets into her adult life and job as a as a journalist, um, and how she feels so, like, detached from her work as a writer, as opposed to her as a person, because she, she's still, like, not, she's not processed her childhood and what has gotten into her that position, I think, and, like, her just Mm -hmm. taking that, the amount of privilege that she just she grew up in at face value and with just such minimal processing and acknowledgement it was just like how can a person have such an internal a rich internal life with no internalization like
2: <laughs> yeah that that lack of awareness of feeling like I mean just the even the fact that at the end of that school year when everything is you know imploded and exploded in a way that like she she can leave she can rewrite her story instantly because she has this invisible safety net of wealth I mean she just she, she literally just changed moves country changes her name you know like all the, these things are, are she doesn't think about them I think you're right I think it's the ease and it's really I think in the book only when she becomes the mother and then she's forced to think about well what kind of mother will I be what kind of daughter will I have and particularly the mother of a daughter I think it probably challenges her to say like well what kind of person am I was I will my daughter become
0: yeah the scene where she was so angry at the the woman at like i think the restaurant who was like oh you're gonna have a you're gonna have a girl she's like no i'm gonna have a boy like she's so anti having a daughter and like yeah yeah i thought that was actually very like relatable because it's like you know as like someone who socialized as a woman growing up like i'm like "Mm, if i ever do have kids like having a daughter seems so much harder (laughs) because like yeah. the, the absolute viciousness of girlhood that like I experience and my interactions with not only like little boys but like the little girls and then the teenage girls um they they hurt yeah. you like no other and I think this story really really shows that
2: yeah the what the, the, the dynamics between those girls and it was it was um when I first had the idea of writing I a little bit like the narrator my book I'd gone back to England and kind of had never I left school and just didn't speak to another person. I just really pushed away from that experience. And and so I hadn't been back for a really long time. And I knew that the school had been sold, so I like was driving around the town trying to like locate places, and, and everything looked so different. Everything had been knocked down or destroyed or tarmacked over except this chapel, and and i a kind of elbowed my way past the receptionist and persuaded her to let me like sit in, in the space where we would have gone to like our Sunday church services every, every week. And it was so physical. It's that thing where you smell something and you're immediately transported. I just, I had that feeling of like, almost like nauseating discomfort about what it was like to sit on that pew and feel so uncomfortable in my body and so hyper aware of the people around me and what they were thinking about me the paranoia that you've got your period and you're leaking through your dress. You're just like, and the and the crippled, like embarrassment of that of then having to get up and go like down past your peers, you know, and how humiliating that would be. And and it seems so crazy now because it should have been a sisterhood. It was all these girls together and we should have been so, up, it should have been such an uplifting, empowering experience. And and really that's not my memory of my teenage years. It was that you felt um directly in competition with there was a pecking order that was going on that was constantly shifting and a hierarchy that was in place um and your body was just did feel wild it felt like things were changing and erupting and sort of I was that thing that goes do, like getting right up to a mirror and still did, like examining yourself your paws your body like I really wanted to get into that headspace when I was writing it
0: like on mean girls just like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And i sitting in front of the mirror yeah. being like, oh, don't even be mad about that because look at me because I have the, I, I mean, <laughs> I've also been in like those all girls environments yeah. as well. Um, I didn't, I didn't I never went to like private school or anything but like it, it, it's similar similar settings like that and I think like the drama of that yeah ooh, it was so on point because it's like you never know what someone else is thinking of you but you get the vibes that they don't like you as much as you as they did three weeks ago but you don't really understand why and then it's like oh is it because I'm roommates with this weird girl yeah
2: <laughs> yeah I know so oh, when I um was thinking about getting American representation because I'd had an, an agent in the UK for quite a long time and and I was having insane telephone conversations in the cupboard at 3M um, when he was awake and could contact me and so it was kind of crazy and, and but I'd always been a bit anxious that the book was just too British for an American audience I was like well it's so much of it is about the oddity of the class system I don't know what its reach will be and I was chatting to a, a fellow writer friend here who's Australian and she was like but it, this isn't a British phenomenon like this feeling between teenagers and particularly young women is like universal she was like I saw myself and she said the scary thing was seeing herself not just as you know a, a victim but like she was like what really made me think about what I had done to other people and how I have just like pushed that to the side and kind of yeah, all yeah the- I
1: was did. gonna say because I grew up in the like California public school system, um, very large schools co-ed my entire life. Um, my only like connection to the like British private school system was in the childhood show um, House of Anubis and in the movie St. Trinians, um, which yeah. I love the movie St. Trinians. And um, and that was like the only the only time that I had seen anything like that. But yeah uh reading the divines it was just the like intimacy that can either flip to like the most extreme loving bond or a like lifelong villainy that just moves <laughs> throughout no, it well, it feels like that so you you end up yeah, graduating like, and moving and meeting new people and it ends up but in the moment when you're like living with someone or seeing someone every day it feels like it could flip on a dime also- was really universal. It was super accessible.
2: Oh, would well, do you still have those people that if you saw them on the street, you would literally like dive for cover. There are, I mean, you i know that.
1: going change. to my local Target. Every single time I'm back home and I go to the local Target, I'm like, no one see me, no one look at me. Henry. Henry, if you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, But with that like really intense female friendships one thing that really stood out to Sunny and I was like almost the inherent like queerness and and some of the sapphism and that that line is like really blurred and one of the first like memories that Josephine has that really stuck out to me was she says that like they were constantly touching each other and when they're in public they're kind of like always on top of each other. Um, yeah. in a way that really blurs the lines between platonic and what's a romantic relationship and especially in a time when you don't really know that yourself as a teenager when yeah, like writing absolutely. those scenes um were there moments that you like specifically wanted to make it platonic or did you specifically want to leave things undefined and how did you like now
2: yeah. I'm really interested in matriarchies I suppose and what happens when groups of girls are all together versus you know that I worked for several years in an all-male prison, and it and it was really interesting to see how those two things differ. And I think, I guess, what I, I was thinking a lot about when I was writing those teenage girls is is you know the, as you said they are always touching each other. I think there's a description of them like lying between each other, spread thighs at the like you know like around the base of the statue and stuff, and it's incredibly like intimate interactions. I think they their in bed, ticking one another's arms, they are very aware of each other's bodies, but I, I think at that age I really wanted to get into that mindset of where actually men for the divines are almost like irrelevant or a bit silly, like they're these things, they're, they're the entity that you play with and then dispose of and shove back over the wall, even when these photographs start arriving, which you know really could be kind of like a menacing killed
0: me. though it was so funny. And I also and it was such like such a perfect, I think, example of how like when I was in middle school in my all-girlfriend group or whatever, like the like it was very much like play pretend with the idea of men. But they're yeah. not real people. We no. are real people.
2: <laughs> we're the yes. That we're, and actually that's really important. I that's what I kind of wanted to get to. Like the the that they, although they are a boy obsessed in some way, but the the boy, it's not about who the men are. The men aren't given an an interior life of their own. It's, they're just almost like collecting cards. They're not really real in these girls' lives. But what is real and where the obsession is with each other and where they fit around each other. And I think that really is true of the female, well, my female experience is that, you know, the most important thing to me beyond all ever were my female friends and like those relationships and I think at that age they really there is this very blurry line between like what is attraction what is friendship the two kind of dovetail over each other and you know and I think you feel for Lauren because she doesn't know how to operate in that world? She's such a she's got such a tight armor around her. Such she knows what she is, and in many ways, she's so much more mature and advanced. Like she knows exactly who she is. She can't yet tell. Maybe she presumes to, in some to some extent, that Joan knows that that she'd have to be sit idiot, like an idiot, not to realize. But but she doesn't know, like how to talk about it with her. I think, and so yeah that it's just so sad because you can see how that relation that friendship and that relationship is just going to like shatter that it can't it can't be sustained but you can't stop it happening because one is completely ignorant of what's happening with the other side
0: yeah like i mean this is i mean two things about that was that me and renaissance were we've talked about another in other episodes about like the inherent like homoeroticism of like male power and how men view women as those trading cards as these unreal objects and stuff but obviously within yeah. like how patriarchy plays out like when it's they all benefit male from stories. that they benefit from the gratification yeah. of yeah women. whereas
1: when girls are raised not to see men as potential like um projectors of like harm it can get really dangerous and that that definitely you see that with the polaroids and that storyline where they think think it's it's, yeah they think it's funny and they want to try and collect them and then when they actually have like the school assemblies when it actually hits them that oh they might actually be in harm and they didn't even realize it
2: yeah And, and all that time jerry is carrying like that information with, it. like, as well, you know, there's yeah. someone amongst them that is, like, incredibly vulnerable, and they're just too self-absorbed to sort of recognize that there is, like, real danger there, I suppose. Yeah.
0: I mean, this kind of also, everything relates back to our love of Taylor Swift, but <laughs> something <laughs> something that I I was thinking about today was, like, what's so interesting, I think, about, like, Taylor Swift's discography is that everyone has made fun of her, especially in, like, the teen, in the, in the 2010, like, like paparazzi tabloid era. Everyone was like, oh Mm. my God, this girl goes on so many dates with so many different men. Mm. And then she had her like really famous like girl group of like all these celebrities that she was friends with. And like, that made me really think about how like she's been writing music since she was like 15. Like that, those feelings of like the inherent queerness and closeness of what is accepted as normal within girlhood yeah Um, but then like the fantasization of men like playing out in your like mind like it was so I don't know that was so like funny and like parallel to see within the book
2: I know but what's funny about that era is you think like now presumably teenagers have all these incredible role models like they have this spectrum of 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 femininity to like look at which is it's incredible those girls from the 90s you just think my god I mean no internet I couldn't have googled anything they're just those girls me like <laughs> like there was no if you if you were curious in any direction where would you go to there was nowhere to go to except your peers and, and I think in that divine situation like you know there is, there is no one they use the word gay in a pro you know like as a kind of a swear don't be so gay don't like there's that I think there's a section where I write about that that idea of like how you just bandied that word around in this like and it's just you cringe when you think about it about it now but yeah there's a fellow there's a writer that uh, called Emily Layden who's got a book out called All Girls which is set in an American boarding school um, I guess just before the Me Too movement but there are open lesbian couples in this all-girls school and it was really interesting it's like oh that I can't imagine writing the book that I did set in contemporary times because the the world I think the feel like that whole world must have changed enormously since yeah
0: that's so interesting because I was just now hanging out with one of my other like lesbian friends who is uh who went to a catholic all-girls high school in St. Louis. Lots of Catholic all-girls high schools in St. Louis, and she went to the one that was like notoriously gay. Like, like (laughs) there were lots of like gay relationships in, but and like the drama that would happen. Like, I've just heard so many interesting stories about like all the things that would happen at this like the bubble of this private school and how. like, they're all still so, like, close to each other, and every time I hang out with girls who all went to this school, when I go, when I hang out with the people who graduated from the school, the rapport that they have, and the way that they talk about their teachers, and, like, how they visited the high school still, like, so interesting, oh my gosh, it's so, and it's such an interesting peek into, like, what, like, what girlhood can look like within, the confines of something that is supposed to be so limiting like that Catholic like Christian (laughs) pedagogy that which is like so it always backfires because every Catholic girl I know in high school had a drinking problem because they had so many parties like especially in these suburbs like the cops never got called or anything so yeah (laughs) oh and another thing about the use of like gay and like lesbian as terms as like swear words and stuff that's so I was so funny because it made me remember how when I was in middle school uh I was standing outside with my friends and my, the choir teacher and like the theater teacher walked out of the building and was asking us whether we had applied to be within the thespian troupe but she almost said lesbian and she was like oops almost said a bad word and then she like walked away
2: <laughs> how interesting that she used that bad word uh yeah yeah I mean it's it's fascinating I had um you know occasionally you get readers that that find you like about my website and and typically that lovely people saying I might say like the book but occasionally you get someone that's really upset by something in the book and I had a woman recently who was just so angry with me um because I'd used I used but it's actually Lauren who uses it interestingly is the word retarded but she says don't be so retarded yeah um and it was and I took my time responding to the woman because I sort of one i wanted to make it like i was saying like one of the weird bits about being a writer is when you in, when you as a writer inhabit characters you are making them say and do things that are not reflective of who you are now as an adult human being but it would be like ridiculous to pretend that the, that the word gay was not used in that way or that like retarded wasn't a word that just tripped off the tongue at that age and that and that now you would never use it in like in conversation but it's really really important to say that actually probably there are groups of people that still do um, uh, of
0: course As, of especially course. like teenagers in my high school and and like people I know yeah. yeah I don't know it's
2: really it's a really interesting one that and I, like, I understood why it, you know and it then turned out that she had a family member with Down syndrome and you understand why these words are triggers but I just felt like it was really important to explain that like you have to be you know that you don't choose these words flippantly that they that they're there for a reason that they they're trying to show something or like show how these institutions operate
1: and I think it really helped like show the difference when we're in the memories of Josephine in that particular time and like how what her experience was growing up with the internet and the changing of the times and like a really big article that she writes is about the gymnasts and so it shows like how a very, you know, insular community is affected by male violence in her adult life, which parallels kind of, you know, what happens in her memories and how she reflects on her time. Yeah.
2: And she's she ashamed, but there's a reason that she's not telling Jürgen what, what she's done. Like she really yeah. is. She's, she's, I think, ashamed of her privilege, that he's someone that is really, like, comes from mountain people and that's had to work get where he is and she is the the complete opposite like she's she's aware of she's aware of that privilege and embarrassed by it I don't think she knows how to like talk about it in a way and so that hence spiraling into this obsessive cycle of like digging down into her memories yeah
0: and lots of people don't like most people never come to terms with like who they were as a child and also like the things that they grew up with that really like impacted how how they view the world and then it's like what yeah. but, i mean with josephine it was like she that, that switch of like being in that space and having all those visceral like memories and then also like becoming a mother and trying to navigate and like I think right. another thing about the internet being present within her when she's like in her 30s um and like being like trying to internet like trying to cyber stalk her former peers and stuff so so relatable there, we've, all done it.
2: we've all done it yeah I mean I I think I had a very strange moment where you know I was writing the book and I was so in that world and I started to think about, you know, the skipper-like figures from my own time at school, or those girls that I was so enthralled to that seemed so powerful. And there's that very, I had a really strange thing about, reading the Instagram post of, of one of these girls who I'd gone to school with, and she talked in a very sort of, um, it felt like a very genuine way about her time at school and how, she had all of this stuff going on in her private life with her father and her mother and like her dad had left home and she was adopted. And though she, she presented this very vulnerable view of herself as a child and talked about how she'd come to our school feeling um, so fragile and how nurturing and protective and how wonderful her school experience was and how these girls saved her. And I was just like, what? The, the, the girl that I remember was terrified. I mean, terrifying. She was like, she was so domineering and so cutting and barbed and, and, and really like haunted me for quite a long time. I, and, I, and it really made me feel in the way that Josephine does it. You start to question whose who's story is the truth. Like, Who am I? Have I just seen her through this lens? And I was so unaware of the backstory that I, I've completely misinterpreted her entire demeanor at school or is she now kind of has she created this fantasy world around her own history to protect herself it's just it, that whole idea really fueled the book it was so interesting to me I was memory is is I think inherently flawed like I think and and so with Josephine like I think for me memory works as these fragmented puzzle pieces that we put together. And usually we've got these people around us that have known us our whole life. And they say, oh, well, it was a bit like this. And, and it's like this collective understanding of who we are as people. And then you take, I wanted to take a character like Josephine and, and she's got no one. There's no one there to validate who she is. So then what happens to your memory if that's the case? Like you, I think she has this incredibly warped view. That's one way of putting all the puzzles in completely the wrong pattern together
1: yeah which towards the end of the book spoilers for listeners because I have a little bit of a question but I like when you get to the end and you realize at the memories that her peers are saying of what happened and she's completely she's like I don't remember that at all or it didn't go like Mm -hmm. that she's kind of like having this crisis of like what if everything that I've ever remembered is wrong and then in the last scene when Jerry like snaps at her at the end before leaving and then you kind of see is like well that kind of is true that is the Jerry that she remembered this whole time yeah so what is it's real what isn't and that's like what was so interesting that's why yeah. I was like
0: ah.
2: so, yeah. well, I guess like I felt very much that I was operating in this bit of fiction which was like the coming of age story or the Bildungsroman and like you know what typically happens is like if you take a Jane Austen for example or not less so but in in that normal formula you have a character who like is a teenager and they go out into the world and they learn from all their mates they make a bunch of mistakes and they learn from it and they travel and then they're reabsorbed by society as these like better people and you know in, in Austen they always get married and then like they're kind of given the stamp of approval by the by the patriarchy but you know, I find those stories so interesting because you just think, well, we live in this culture of betterment and self-improvement and this very Goopian world where there are all these things we can do to come to this fully formed version of ourselves. And I think I just, I mean, perhaps I'm like a deeply flawed person, but I don't feel that I'm in any way fully formed. I think that um, I'm as, likely to feel insecure or angry or jealous or bitchy as I've ever been I just process those emotions perhaps in slightly healthier ways I hope but like they're all there you don't you don't erase them from your being it's part of being like it's part of being human and I I think female anger is this really taboo subject. And, and I wanted Jo to be angry. Like I wanted her to be quite vicious, both as a teenager, but also she's quite forceful with like her kids. Sometimes she's the dog, sticking the dog in the cage. And just like, I don't know, like I wanted female anger to be something that I could bring into play in this book and like remove some of the taboo around it.
1: Yeah, I really liked, um, there there is some moments in the book where I almost like winced it or cringed, you know, just because like yeah. it's so visceral, like I could like feel it. And also I, I could like see it in a way that was like, this is like a real person <laughs> in a way where like, you know, other, I think portrayals of womanhood or woman is kind of an escapism fantasy woman, like in a perfect world, this is someone that I could yeah. could exist. And Josephine is a really like real woman and a real person who the, the portrayals of teenagehood that she's reflecting on are very like intimate which I really appreciated as someone who doesn't like the kind of like girly pop
2: um yeah you need that I like I like the rawness of the teen- yeah it's, it always surprises me that that teenagers are given that sheen like I guess it's a very cinematic view of what teenagehood can be I mean there's some really great writing now about like girls and women oh, this i don't know if you've come across this one yet but it's
0: yeah that's on my to, re, to be read
2: <laughs> yeah don't yeah do till's um oh it's i'm holding it up so it's not very good for the podcast is it um but it's milk it's milk blood heat <laughs> um yeah by Don Till, w minis it's it's really really great as an evocation of, of of what women are about and in, in this very like yeah it's a very visceral i think visceral's a, word that's banded around a lot but it really is that there's a real real sense of femininity and I think like I guess you know Josephine isn't me but like there are certain experiences that we share like like being mothers and I remember there's a lot of talk around motherhood that's very soft it's like you've given a bit of yourself to your child so you're slightly lesser and you you're fuzzier there's baby brains you're a little bit fuzzy and soft and my experience of motherhood was the absolute opposite of that I had never been so sharp in my life I had no time for anything that was going to like get in the way of either like being with my kid or or writing and it was like time was short and so I was like I couldn't deal with bullshit anymore I was like that or got no time for it I have to go I had like a very um I felt a sense of urgency about writing and like an anger about the state of the world I think Brexit was kicking off Trump was kicking off and I was so angry that I'd brought a daughter into the world that was so grim like I was like god what have I like what have I done and so I, yeah my it was like hugely fueling in a way it was like well I'm just gonna anger write this book and in a way some of the venom in the book I think perhaps comes from being in that headspace so yeah mm-hmm. I was fun.
0: thinking when you were talking about the whole like Girlhood into adulthood, or like when you when you come of age and like become the full version of yourself, that really reminded me of uh, Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Like how yeah, yeah. at the very end of the movie, like we don't, she doesn't know who she is, and neither do we. We don't know who she is either, like because yeah. she's sat, spent so long thinking that she knew who she was, thinking her relationship with her mom was in one way, and her relationship with men was in another way, and her relationship with her friends was this way, but at the end none of none of that reveals to be forever to be true <laughs>
2: right. and it's interesting that books that go the other way and do tie stuff up neatly and come to some conclusion and I think a bit like you were saying it's like a wish fulfillment isn't it it's like oh I wish that life was that simple or I wish that I could be that together but then but then it's pretty rare that anyone is that way
0: yeah Is there anything else you wanted to mention, Renaissance? Yes,
1: I have one question. This is just my little nerdy brain. Um, But you've talked about how, like, the phrase, I am divine, like, came to you before writing the book. Um, And so, one, I think, like, there's kind of this imagery of, like, God and, and the relationship that the school has with the town and the people of the town that surround the school kind of gave me this feeling of almost like a, a mount olympus with like the greek gods who you know yeah. sometimes go out and play tricks on the people and and have different dynamics within themselves was that like allegory or, or using that you know parallel relationship of greek gods and yeah. boarding school? was that like really purposeful or to make it i guess more accessible or yeah, it
2: absolutely was. Um, I've rearranged my books a bit because I started a new project, but for the entire write, writing place, I had the Greek, you know, Robert Graves, like, by my desk. And I was always obsessed with Greek mythology as a kid. I remember it's, like, one of the big early picture books that I had, had all of those images. And, yeah, and, I, and it really, I mean, I had that line, I am divine, and then, and then I did start to think about divinity. And it was very much that idea of the Mount Olympus. You have all these people that can meddle And they really do meddle in Lauren and Stuart's lives. Like, she can like play with them and then just like retreat back into her bubble as soon as it gets a bit tricky. She she does is reabsorbed by the divine and is like in his
0: like wealth is godhood almost.
2: It kind of is, and and I I mean there's and then I think once I started to make those connections, uh, I just kind of had fun with it. So there's a scene like. a moment where she's pricking um she's pricking her finger obsessively and I think it's Phaedra in the Greek myths who is obsessed by she's been made to fall in love and she sits there like watching this like this man do his exercises sort of in preparation for some games and she's there like Picking herself, or picking a leaf with a pin, and so the those little moments, and even really like the figure of Jerry falling, and you know she there's there's a character in the Greek myth that I Ila I don't know if I'm saying that right who who is who jumps from the cliffs and is saved by her skirt blowing down and she floats down and yeah and, and I think there is something about teenage girls that's very chameleonic like you they shapeshift in the way that nymphs do. You know, they're constantly changing who they are um, and and changing with the winds. And I I kind of, yeah, wanted to capture a bit of that. So yes, like the Greek myth nerd in me definitely kicked in in this book. It just seemed like too interesting a parallel to ignore. I kind of liked the idea of it once I had it.
0: Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I think my last question I didn't have this written down but now that I'm thinking about it like what are what's the deal with your new book and like the process with your the current book that you're writing
2: well I broke my brain in the last year by being on the internet too much so that's a thing (laughs) Um, yeah I mean I I felt really fortunate in many ways in that you know that despite getting published during a pandemic there are amazing tools to connect with other writers and people like you like that I never would have had conversations that I've had of it had it not been for like Instagram and Twitter to a slightly lesser extent like I found like a community of people but I think because I was on it so much I feel like my brain is is far fuzzier than it ever was after having a baby I tell you that I'm just like oh I feel like I just feel kind of a bit exhausted um all the time all the time and so yeah it's be, it's been writing has been much slower and also just the geography of the house of having people here all the time I hadn't really realized how much of the writing process involves walking around an empty space looking ridiculous just like staring into the mid-distance and talking to yourself and then and unaware of your own body and then it's only when there are other people and you walk into the kitchen and there's another human there and I'm like Ugh, just get out <laughs> so, I'm yeah. first, I'm a horrible person to live with right now. I think
0: if you don't like, you know, it's like those TikToks that are like, if you don't leave the kitchen right now, I'm going to have, I'm going to like yeah. explode. Like, I, I need <laughs> to be here alone right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily, um, my husband is. He, he operates in a similar way. They're like, both people that need silence and space, and and recognise when the other person that needs it as well. So. I'm kind of lucky from that point of view but I think it's just this world is not very conducive to creativity I think be it sitting on the bus and overhearing a conversation or like sitting like walking around Echo Park or all of these things um that have been kind of taken from us in the last year have met I think I've just meant that like creatively I'm just slower than I would be but I am slowly getting into a new project and it's and it's good it feels healthy and 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 I think if you really wanted something for a very long time, like getting published, it's an amazing feeling to have your book out in the world. But I had a friend from Chicago who, you know, when I was feeling really low before I got published about my hopes of ever getting published. And she was like, look, when you have a book in, if you have a book on the shelf, it's not like people are going to be high-fiving you on the street when you walk down the road. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, yeah, I know. But like, kind of, there is this moment, like, of kind of postpartum publishing where you're like oh okay well that's sad that project is over and and I begin this other thing but it's also great you're really ready to move on so yeah I'm trying to write um I think I'll always be interested in uh I guess like power and femininity and 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 how it works and I'm trying to set something in prison at the moment so
0: Kind of oh, play, speaking yeah. of prison, have you read uh, The Mars Room by Rachel
2: Kushner? I have, yeah. I actually went to see her speak about it down at my local library. I thought it was really, really, really interesting. She has a very close relationship still with the women that she worked with in prison. Um, and so it was interesting to me just to see how that had fed into her writing. I think it's really interesting. But
1: yeah,
2: I like it, yeah, it's, it it's seems like British prisons were... There's crossover, obviously, but I think they're so individual. They're such a straight, it's such a much like private schools, private boarding schools in England. It's one of our oldest institutions and they still operate in a very archaic way. Um, And the people that choose to work in those systems are pretty interesting. Like, it's a very, very strange, strange world. But what was really fascinating to me was when I was writing The Divine, just like, oh, you know, this is an institution whose entire purpose is to keep the elite in their position of power. A prison using very similar techniques Mm -hmm. is operating to keep this whole other section of society down and like Mm -hmm. unable to escape the cycle of poverty or, or crime. It's so interesting how they're not, whilst being very different, they're quite similar in lots of ways.
0: Yeah. it's like it's like the same institution, just based off of how much money you have and like where you just happen to be born into life. You end up in one or the other. You either get into those yeah. places that like you can circulate within, and you know, through like nepotism and good luck and whatever, you can just sail through life and 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 grapple with your guilt on an internal level, whereas for some people you make a mistake when you're like 15 and then for the rest of your life that's you, it you, that, that guilt is not internalized it is external it is every element of your waking day and um yeah yeah
2: 100 anyway yeah I, I find it um i find it almost embarrassing talking about work in progress i don't know why I don't, I don't i can't quite articulate like what it is that makes you feel i think maybe even having written a book and several books before that that didn't get published, you you feel like a fraud. Like you feel like when you're talking about it, that you're, that you, that imposter syndrome really, really is so real. Even though you've got evidence sitting in front of you that you wrote a book that that is out in the world and people are reading, like it's really hard to shake that off, so.
1: Well, we will both be reading your next project <laughs> <Of course. laughs> thank you so much really enjoyed this so thank you so much you. for coming on our podcast and speaking with us this has been so much fun
2: thank, um, you. So thank you for having me
0: yes. so, so that um, was our interview with ellie eaton lovely amazing incredible as you can tell um she's such a lovely person i'm so glad we got to talk to her and yeah i don't know and plus listen being able to talk to the person who like made something that means so much to you it's just another level it's like another experience I think and
1: she was so humble and like a real person but like I don't think she knew how excited I was to talk (laughs) to her (laughs) yeah (laughs) I was trying not to like nerd out and be like I'm a person who is on a podcast and is just talking to a normal person but on the inside I was like how do I not scream that I loved this book so much and (laughs) I'm like shitting my pants right now talking to her (laughs) I'm like I'm like the thing that I enjoy so much came out of your brain like you were the person who created something that Mm -hmm. I like lost my mind over for Uh 48 hours and like Uh you have no idea that I, like, was frantically texting Sunny out of context
0: quotes
1: of the book.
0: I was (laughs) FaceTiming Renaissance at random points being like, no, listen, this is what happened.
1: (laughs) Like, like, I don't think she could sense the actual behind the scenes of, like, what our experience reading the book was, besides the fact that we obviously really liked it. Um, Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, so that was really fun. And so now, I, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that interview as much as we had fun doing it and talking to Ellie Eaton. And hopefully this will this will kind of start uh, a pattern. Maybe we'll be able to talk to more of the creators that we consume their content. Um, God, the God can only,
0: wait, wait, we can only hope.
1: Yeah, we can definitely only hope uh, from our lips to God ears, God's yeah. ears.
0: Yes. Please send
1: us more cool people to have on our podcast.
0: Exactly. Um, oh, you should tell me with... the thing that you want to recommend. You, the, the, since we're at the recommendation portion of the podcast, tell me what was the comic mm-hmm. strip adaptation? I don't remember, like, the name or anything. Like, what What was it?
1: Yeah, so this is my recommendation. It's the movie, um, and it is called St. Trinian's. And it is, it's a children's movie, and I... Watched it not as a child um, when I was nineteen, so just last year, and it was because I was watching um, one of my favorite actresses' entire filmography because I just kind of took up that challenge over the summer for quarantine. Um, And the actress is Gemma Arterton, and that was her very first film, and it was obviously a part of her filmography. And so I watched it, thinking like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna watch a kids movie." going to be cringy and it's genuinely not only one of my favorite gemma movies but one of my favorite movies period and it's a children's film and it is so it's so funny it's it's a really funny film okay so this is a brief description of, of the plot of the movie is um this uh really posh english girl gets transferred uh boarding schools to the one that her aunt runs um, because her, like, father doesn't want her going to another school. And so she ends up transferring to St. Trinian's. And she's kind of seen as this, like, super posh outsider. Because the girls who go to St. Trinian's are kind of known for being wild and having a lot of hijinks. And just, and just like, kind of being, like, the not like other girls of, of boarding school culture. And, um, and so the main character, Annabelle gets uh transferred into the school and while they're at the school um they find that closing and that all the girls would have to end up like if they can't figure out a way to save the school they'd end up having to leave saint trinians and that's kind of where a lot of them like grown up because it's like a elementary through high school boarding school um and they wouldn't be allowed to get away with the high drinks that they do at St. Trinian's as they witness other schools. And so they all kind of freak out and they end up planning this heist um, to steal something from the National British Museum in order to sell kind of on like the black market to get money to save the school. And there's so many things in the movie that would kind of seem inappropriate, like allusions to drugs. There's actually more allusions to heavy drug use, but in the editing, they ended up taking it out because they didn't think it was the most appropriate for, like, seven-year-olds to be watching it. Right. Um, but it's really funny, and, like, oddly, quite sapphic and feminine. Not oddly, but quite sapphic. And, like, because it takes place in this all-girl boarding school, it's, like, every role, both the dominant and the submissive, are female characters in a way that, like, kind of shows the spectrum and breadth of of girlhood, instead of all girls being submissive or being in a really like toxic way, it's actually like in a very complimentary way. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyways, I think that was a really long. I think that was like a sunny version, <laughs> a sunny, a sunny summary of the movie. Oh but God. one thing that I want to point out is that the movie is written by two men and then directed by two men. It had two writers and two directors, so four men were like. The creators of this movie, but it's like not weird and like quite feminist, like not male gazey at all, which was really surprising, um, and just super cool. Anyways, so I you heard um, Ellie mention it, and I also brought it up in the interview, so that is also my recommendation. Saint Trinians is from two thousand and seven. It's a really fun movie.
0: Okay, what's yours? cool i will check it out um so the book that i want to recommend to you is one that you can check out as an audiobook from the library uh app libby Mm -hmm. because that's what i did and it's called docile by cam Sparza or spara and this book is okay it's not at all similar to the divine it's more similar to sorry to bother you which we watched last night Mm -hmm. um because it's set in this near future oh not even near. like this dystopian world that is quite realistic in relation to the class structures of the world around us um and docile also is similar to the divines in that it does not have really great ratings on goodreads mostly because i instead of because people don't really like um, not that pe- it's not because, like with the divines, we were talking about how it's because people just don't like hearing about the grossness of femalehood and like womanhood and like girlhood, and they don't like the intimacy of that ultimately, and that's pretty that's a common thread in a lot of Goodreads reviews. But something that that I found is a common thread, I feel like in in these Goodreads reviews, is another thing that we discussed with with Ellie was that like people couldn't really differentiate the difference between. The author's intention and the uh, character's intentions and the character's portrayal because Docile is ultimately a story about abuse and consent and grooming uh, the tagline mm-hmm. for the book is called there's no consent under capitalism because mm-hmm. we're set in a world where everyone has accumulated everyone who is like poor or middle class has accumulated incredible amounts of debt over the years uh, very similar to you know right now everyone is just dealing with medical de- debt and grappling with with student debt and loans and everything but the thing is is that there was a law that was passed that basically meant that all debt was generational and it got passed down from, from within families, which meant that people, normal ass people, poor people, working class people who've worked their whole lives ended up ended up having just millions of do- dollars of debt that have collected and built interest over the years, which meant that in order to kind of solve this quote unquote problem, like, you know, this problem that was conceived through the very nature of capitalism and the evilness of it, there is now the system of debt repayment where You can sell yourself as docile, uh, meaning as like a servant, a personal servant who not only it does all of... The domestic tasks, but also is basically like a sex slave, um, and a, just personal slave and servant in every way, uh, for a period of time that is a contract. And there is a company that is also involved in this book that produces something called docillin. Docillin is this is one of the science fiction dystopian elements of the story, even though the entire thing is like you know s- set within that within that framework. Um, Docillin is something that most dociles upon taking the role of the docile, usually to these incredibly wealthy people, um, because, you know, the class stratification within this society is insane, Um, these, you you ended up taking docillin as like an injection that makes you entirely oblivious to your existence. It's kind of like you are on autopilot and you will only do the things that your like master tells you. You will do anything that someone tells you to do and after it's done, you'll Get the antidote and you will not remember having that experience at all uh, you'll just go back to your normal personhood or that's what they say but our main character i think his name is alex he his mother he's one of he we, we okay this is also similar to um uh the divines in that every other chapter is alternating perspectives but instead of the same person we are following the perspective of the rich son of a ceo of the company that creates decilin and his servant, his docile. So his docile is this... I am I would go get the book, but I don't want to leave... I don't want to get up to this chair and find it. Anyway, but the mm-hmm. docile... I'm just going to call one CEO daddy's boy, and the other one is <laughs> docile. So Ooh. docile is... To the docile is he knows that desilin actually has long-term side effects and it has a long-term effect of ruining your memory and your identity and your personhood by removing it from you personally, like entirely. Um, and he knows this because his mother worked as a, as a docile for like 20 years. And when she came back to her family and to her home, she was not the same person. She was compl- She was basically like a shell of herself um, and d- doesn't do anything except on autopilot so he he basically decides to go in to the do- to the docile like company and um, sell himself as a docile and he ends up becoming in service of the CEO Rich Daddy's Boy and the CEO's Rich Daddy's Boy uh, in in the process of selecting our, main char- our real main character of the story um <sighs> Mm, these two men end up in this relationship that is very fraught for both of them because the CEO's daddy's boy is thoroughly convinced in the morality of his dad's company and in the in the fact that it's made the world a better place and that his position is to take his father's position as CEO one day and so he needs to exert and exhibit the power that he has as a patriarch, as a male within this world and also as a CEO and so he and his friends of, you know, other rich people who are also heiresses and, and, and heirs and, you know, daughters and sons of, of CEOs and people who develop this the evil technology that controls this hyper-technolized capitalist world um, and the lifestyles that they enable. So it's the story, because we are getting the perspectives of both of these characters, we understand the grooming and the abuse and the way that consent is bought and sold and what really is consent and how much of the brainwashing quote-unquote is something that's physiological as opposed to psychological and because the thing is is that our main character because he understands that his mother is is suffering a long-term abuse of decillin he does not take decillin he mm-hmm. goes into the relationship as a fully sentient human person, and he has to be trained by his basically new owner uh, to be the docile that everyone expects the CEO's son to have, you know, someone who's so on top of everything. Hello? Okay, just put it on the floor of the chair. Okay, thank you. 300. Okay. Um. So what the fuck was so yeah? That's basically what the story is about. We follow the the course of their relationship and how toxic it is because it's rooted in you know literally the CEO daddy's boy like buying out this guy's like soul and life uh, for a limited time. And then how it impacts the person and how it impacts him and, you know, how he becomes or how he attempts to become like a class traitor because he realizes the way that the way that this class system and the exploitative practices of his dad's company really hurts the people that he loves and the people that he loves people that they love. So that's what the story is about. And it really does remind me of Sorry to Bother You. And it has the intimate kind of gross relationships between that we talk about in the homoeroticism inherent to men and and power and domination and all of that so yeah i think you would i think it's very like trigger warning for sexual assault obviously and grooming and abuse but you know if you want if you can stomach it and you can suspend your disbelief for like the world that it's set in i think it's just a Mm -hmm. really good it's a really good reading experience and it's it's one of my favorite books of all time i think Um, i think it has very smart commentary about the nature of capitalism consent commodity capital so yeah
1: Wow! I will definitely. That sounds interesting, and I want to uh, read it. And you and said I'm it's on to, Libby.
0: Like, and yes, yeah, so it's on Libby. And I'm trying to ease you into the world of like science fiction and fantasy. So <laughs> no, this I'm down for transition.
1: science fiction. Ease me in. I like science fiction and fantasy. Have you say so? Is this news? It was, it was this unknown. No, before. it's not. I
0: just found like in the, a lot of the media that we discuss, it's very rooted in like realism and stuff. So I was just n- unsure.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think in um in things that I watch now, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if I want to admit this so publicly and so early into the podcast, but like, you can't go through a once upon a time and a Harry Potter phase and be a King Arthur nerd in the way that I was and not still have a love for science fiction and fantasy, particularly fantasy, fantasy more than science fiction. Um, But if it's done well, I, I, I don't, I don't stray away from those genres at all. Oh, great. And, And we talked about how Land of Stories, it was one of my favorite, was like the last series that I read as a kid that I really liked in terms of reading. Yeah. For myself. And that's fantasy. Okay. <laughs> but um, I don't I can't remember the last fantasy movie that I would have watched though. So I could see how or show. So I could see how you would have gotten that from what I consume now. But no. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm interested in reading that. So those are our recommendations. Is that your only recommendation? Because sometimes you double up.
0: Uh, yeah, that's my only recommendation for today.
1: Okay, awesome. So that has been our episode. We, well Sunny and I, we started with the interview but we started on, for this episode, talking about our friendship a little bit, if we're keeping <laughs> that in. Yeah. Um, uh, Kaylor and the infamous a slideshow that uh, details how Reputation, the album by Taylor Swift, is about her relationship with Carly Kloss, and then you heard a very fun conversation that we had with author Ellie Eaton of The Divines. Please read, listen, any way that you consume books, please read that book, because it is so good, and obviously we loved it, and Ellie Eaton was so much fun to talk to, um, if you listened to this episode hi ellie hi. <laughs> thank you for talking to us and um and then we have our recommendations i recommended the movie saint trinian's based off of the comic strips um that is a british children's uh movie and sunny recommended docile the book by what's the author's name again cam sparza Sparra. Sparra. very cool um and so that is this week's episode and we hope to see you all in our next week's episode which i do not know what we're going to be talking about no trailer no trailer no teasing
0: there's nothing to tease we don't know nope.
1: y'all are just gonna have to come back
0: um
1: yep. so hope you guys enjoyed the episode
0: bye bye let me fuck it Oh, why won't I? okay <laughs>